Well, we are in the third week of our series entitled Cabin Fever. And I feel like that we all have a new appreciation for that term. I don't know about you, but that third wave just really seemed to exasperate what was already um, I was experiencing. And I thought about if I'd ever really felt cabin fever before. Like, what, what does that feel like? Or when had I ever experienced that before? Well, I thought it might be fun to give you a little uh, snapshot into the past. And two memories actually came to my mind um, as I was a kid. I remembered camping trips at uh, KOA Salvo Beach. I don't know if any of you know where those are. Uh, great memories. But sometimes, you know, when you're camping, it rains. And the first day, it's kind of nice and cozy to be in the tent or the tent trailer and play games and hang out with the family. And then the second day, the trailer is damp and the tent gets a bit soggy. Your sleeping bag on the side gets a little moist. You know where I'm going with this. And the third day, everybody wants to go home. Well, I was thinking three days and we couldn't even handle it. Like now we laugh at the face of three days. I got a month behind me now. Like it's just such a different thing. And I remembered another time as a family, we were headed to Florida at Christmas. I was already in university and my sister was married. My cousin Jeff and I decided that we would travel a cano and hitch a ride with the parents. Uh, we were not too proud to get to Florida cheap. So there was five of us in a van planning to drive straight through, but we break down outside of Toledo. One room, I said a cano, so we all shared. And we hadn't packed boots or real winter clothes because really why would we need those? And pretty much a blizzard, we were stuck with nothing to do and nowhere to go. Cabin fever. <sighs> I was blessed with a family that built relationships with extended family, aunts and uncles, grandparents, cousins, and we did life together. And I know that sometimes those relationships were strained. And as kids, we don't really get what's going on behind the scenes. And now as an adult, I realize, wow, it took a bit of commitment to make that work, to make that bond uh, stay strong. And so today I want to talk about family and how separation in the family and how fighting for the, the, the closeness in a family is just so worth it. And sometimes when that breaks down, it's one of the worst things to experience, the isolation and loneliness without those family connections. To begin our series, Pastor Jonathan talked about how we were made for relationships. And from the veriest, very earliest moment, our family is our first significant relationship. So maybe one of the benefits <clears throat> of the pandemic was that the nuclear family, those that live in your same house, were forced to spend more time together, get reacquainted. The people that you are with 24-7, you know, those people... Did I say that out loud? Maybe that's just at my house, and maybe I'm the one who has the most growth to do. But it's, it's where you need to really recognize that at home is where you let it all hang out. There's no pretense often. There, the courtesies go right out the window. And this season has shown many different sides of us that we didn't even really know our loved ones had in them. We should have that comfort level with our families. We really should. We should feel absolutely safe and accepted and unconditional love. But 
Forgiveness. Forgiveness is a good, good thing in the family. But what happens when that breaks down? What happens when that gets strained and when that gets tested? Well, I feel that a huge detriment during this pandemic was definitely the hit on extended family. The support systems that we need to thrive, the balance of other people in our lives that love us, the voices of just people that can sometimes speak reason into a situation when I'm seeming unreasonable. The forced separation of kids and their grandparents, adult siblings, supportive cousins, and those significant adopted family members. We all know them, aunts and we call them aunt and uncle. They are of no relation, but they are pillars in our family. They provide a strength that sometimes we don't get from our own family. So I want to encourage you today that if you don't hear anything else that I say, I want to encourage you to embrace those healthy relationships. And by healthy, I don't mean perfect, but put them back in your lives. Don't let this forced time of lockdown be the reason you no longer have those supports or those connections. Most of what we will look at today is our response when things break down. But that family unit, those healthy relationships are precious. And so we want to fight for those and we want to keep those healthy, life-giving relationships in our lives. So please just hear that today, if nothing else. But the second thing I want you to process this morning is when family or the void of it can create severe loneliness and isolation. When we lose loved ones, or when those healthy structures are removed or break down. The family is a treasure, and we have to guard that diligently. But what about when that treasure just becomes the weight of an empty box? Have things happened? Were things said? Perhaps a rift began as a difference of opinion? Jealousy, greed, or an incident that seems unforgivable? Something has caused a divide and leads to that deepest, loneliest, most isolated feeling that we've ever experienced. I hope today that we can take a bit of time to remember that there is healing. There is healing from hurt, and it's possible. We can overcome feelings of isolation and abandonment and find healing as we keep our eyes on God and His promises. If we look at statistics, uh, it can be a little depressing— there's plenty of evidence that shows very clearly the importance of the family unit. You don't have to look very far to see that trauma in the early years, breakdowns in the family, separation, divorce, death of a parent, death of a sibling, um, death of a spouse can cause sometimes even take us to destructive places and give us an inability to somehow overcome the negative effects of the breakdown. The titles as I was searching for confirmation were just so many. It is definitely <clears throat> a thing. Um, one of the quotes was that 15 to 7-year-old adolescents on the brink of adulthood are particularly vulnerable as they are forming habits and making decisions that will last a lifetime. Whereas family intactness fosters an environment of belonging among youth that increases their likelihood of excelling in education, health, economic security, and religious practice, family brokenness creates a sense of rejection that can thwart proper growth. Well, today, our Bible hero, I'd like us to look at Joseph and seek inspiration as to how to overcome some of those negative odds. 
He is a survivor of isolation, trauma, loneliness, and rejection. His life should have been a disaster. And by today's standards, everything you read, but also by biblical standards, he defies all the odds. And I hope that we can see that we can overcome if we build our lives on the promises of God. Joseph was able to forgive and persevere against all odds, even as his life dramatically changed at that most vulnerable age. So the story that we're looking at is in Genesis, and it's from chapters 37 to 50. So I'm going to give a synopsis of the story. It might be difficult to follow along, but I want to encourage you to look at that story and and read that for yourself. God gives insight into the characters in the Bible, and we can then apply that to our lives. This story of isolation, family rejection, and healing was powerful. And so uh, Pastor Jonathan um, uh, sent me the upload of the movie with Ben Kingsley as Potiphar. And the emotion and the depth of isolation that Joseph went through is really well portrayed in that, um, in that movie. Uh, it might not be the version that the kids want to see, the, especially the younger ones, but also his character and his steadfastness to God's ways was really well portrayed. Now, the clip I showed earlier, even with its problems with the, with the video, the musical turned into a movie with Donny Osmond. It's not as serious, but I can tell you that the lament in the jail cell, I don't know if you've seen it, but that is a powerful song. And it's amazing to me how it captures the essence, I think, of uh, what Joseph was going through. Albeit a bit goofy, it was enjoyable. So again, you might want to check out um, a media version of the story. All right, Joseph was a young man. He was 17 years old. He was taking care of the flocks with his brothers. They were the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, the wives of his father, Jacob. Joseph brought their father a bad report about his brothers. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. And it says that Jacob gave him a beautiful robe as a gift. Okay, let's just stop right there. You can see trouble ahead for Joseph. It doesn't even take much. When his father shows favoritism towards him and he snitches on his 10 brothers, there's problems already there. In the Old and New Testament, there are lots of warnings about not to show favoritism and how God does not show favoritism. So this is like a setup already in his life for a problem. So there's one thing already pitting Joseph against the family, and it's not his fault. And yet it affects his life on so many levels. We're all product of our family and the stuff that happens or happened in the past. Some of it we had nothing to do with. And yet we have to endure those outcomes. I'm sure you can all think of things in your own family history that have just come down through the family line or things that you know of that have shaped who you are. I think if we understand a bit of Joseph's backstory, we can also understand a bit more about his triumphant spirit over um, his, in his life. Um, so in verses uh, 28 and 30, we see the story, or sorry, in chapters 28 and 30, we see the story of Joseph's mother and father. Okay, so we'll go back a bit. His father loved his mother almost as soon as he saw her. He wanted to marry her. So Rachel was special, and she was special to her dad too, as the younger younger sister. And so 
he made Jacob work seven years to earn her hand in marriage. And I, I thought this was kind of good. It's, it's amazing how sometimes when you read the Bible, these things that are new pop out at you. And the Bible says that to Jacob, it only seemed like a few days. Gentlemen, that's a free line for you to use today wherever you might need it, all right? So then Rachel's father, which is Joseph's grandfather, let's keep the family line in mind, tricked Jacob into marrying the older daughter instead of Rachel. And then Jacob had to work seven more years in, so that he could marry Rachel. So there is deceit all the way back in Joseph's family line. Then Rachel, his mother, at first couldn't have children. And so the Bible shares with us her great lament over not being able to give Jacob children. She didn't understand that her value did not come from bearing Jacob children. And she even stooped to manipulation and stealing. Again, great character traits, right? So anyways, there are four women in Jacob's life, 12 sons and one daughter. But Joseph was the firstborn to Jacob's Rachel and so carried a special place in his father's heart. Now remember also, Jacob lost Rachel shortly after the birth of their second son. So Joseph wouldn't have known his mother very long. Okay, so this leaves Jacob now grieving the loss of Rachel, a baby, uh, Joseph, who was a young child, three other wives, let's say lesser wives, 10 more sons that are not following God's ways, one daughter, and all the difficulties of that family. Okay, now we don't want to paint Jacob as a, only a bad father. I think we can assume that Joseph's father would have been the one to plant the seeds in Joseph that taught him a love for God, an expectation of God to do great things, perhaps even coached him in his ability to hear from God, which was a gift that Joseph had. He would have told the stories of the promises of his forefathers, and he would have been responsible to teach the family about God. The older brothers uh, were quite a bit older, but they would have also heard all the stories. They would have known God, and they would have um, recognized God in their lives as well, even though that at the time they maybe weren't listening. Later, we see at their time of repentance that they do show love and respect for God and their father. So Joseph's early years were definitely not easy. Joseph's brothers hated him. The Bible says they couldn't even speak one word to him one kind word. So this envy and hatred grew against Joseph as he got older. All right. So then in verse 18, we learned that they made plans to kill him. One brother tried to protect him, but it seems he was afraid of the others and his help came too late. So they basically beat him up, take his coat, throw him into a well and leave him to die. And then they have lunch. It's amazing. All right, so then in verse 28, gets worse. They decide they can make a bit of cash on this kid and they sell him to Ishmaelite traders for eight ounces of silver and that's how Joseph gets to Egypt. Okay, that's a pretty uh, scary transition as a young teenager. So now they make it look like Joseph was attacked by a wild animal. They bloody up his coat and take it back to their father. They act like they're grieving. And of course, Jacob is devastated and believes his son is dead. You see, again, more of his brother's character flaws as the story in Genesis continues. And Joseph is sold again at the end of 37 to Pharaoh's officials. 
All right, now Joseph, he's in a different country, surrounded by strangers, working as a slave. He shouldn't have had any privileges, probably a language barrier, and somehow God's favor seems to follow him. Joseph makes an impression wherever he goes. He's given great responsibility, again, only to be falsely accused and then ends up in jail. God's love for us surpasses all of our circumstances. And that faithfulness of God is what kept Joseph and actually all the Israelites coming back to God every time they were in a crisis. And even when they made mistakes, they just were able to keep coming back to God and walking again in that favor. Joseph somehow gets this and he stays true to God, the God of his father. And again, opportunities present themselves So here he is in Egypt in jail. He was doing well. The Bible says he's doing well. And he's making important connections that will set him up for a position of great responsibility and trust. So Joseph could have succumbed to this wild life, like we know, you know, this downward spiral where nobody, and nobody would have blamed him, right? Things like, oh, life is unfair, or my family abandoned me, or I'm going to live for myself, come what may and sort of just throw caution to the wind and just live his life, all right? He had opportunities, he had temptation, he could have had it both ways, but he didn't. Joseph decides to reject the bitterness and the revenge, the greed and the selfishness, or this potential to manipulate. He helps people while he's in prison. He speaks the truth according to his faith. He's noticed for his leadership ability. He follows through with what God tells him, even at risk to himself. He hears God's voice and shares that message with others. I think in order for him to be able to do that and to see how the rest of the story unfolds, he had to overcome. He had to receive healing for that hurt. He had to choose to trust and forgive, and he had to let God intervene on his behalf. All right, and so that would have been fine for him. He would have had a bright future. He gets married. He has two sons of his own. But at the point in the story, Joseph is forced to look back and reconcile with his past. He can't just walk forward in the goodness of God. He has to come to this place of I'll call it reckoning, where he has to deal with what happened in the past. He is not only destined and responsible to save Egypt from a devastating famine, he has to reconcile that his family is now coming to him for help. What a twist of events. So his brothers come to Egypt in search for food for their families. They have to face Joseph, not knowing it's him. Over 15 years have passed since they would have seen him. And so there's no way they would have known that it's him. He creates this complicated process of testing them. I don't blame him. I mean, he wants to figure out their motives. He wants to know where these guys are at before he reveals himself. He has to come to terms with his own feelings. But he would have nothing to worry about or nothing to fear because there is no way that at his position, they could have harmed him. He could have had anything he wanted done to those men. And so they travel, those brothers travel to Egypt because they need provision and food. But what they get is a reunion 
and healing for their souls. So they got a gift out of this whole thing, even undeserving. So they come to purchase food for their families, all right? And we learn in chapter 47 that Pharaoh allows Joseph, so this relationship that Joseph has built with Pharaoh comes again to this beautiful place where Pharaoh says, your father and your brothers have come to you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen. And if you know of any among them with special ability, put them in charge of my own livestock. And then in 47 verse 10, we also see that Jacob was presented before Pharaoh. So he's reunited with his father. You can imagine all the emotion that's packed into that moment. And Jacob has an opportunity to bless Pharaoh. Wow, just amazing to me. And Jacob lives another 17 years with his family together in this reunion with Joseph, with his grandchildren, and Joseph provides for his whole family. Joseph could have done anything, and yet we read that he wept. He wept for them. He wept for that broken relationship. He was broken, but he was not helpless. I want us to catch the difference. Broken before God, showing our true feelings, letting him handle our feelings of rejection and loneliness that are real is not helpless and it's not weakness and it's not without boundaries. When we forgive people, we are releasing them into the freedom of God's forgiveness. We still can apply great wisdom as we move forward in difficult situations. Joseph forgave them. He embraced them. He loved on them. And this is such an unbelievable act that 17 years later, now we're in chapter 50, okay, at the end here, when their dad Jacob passes away and is no longer able to be the overseer of the family. Those brothers still wonder if maybe now Joseph will seek revenge. After everything he's done for them, the rightful order of how things in the world are supposed to happen, they still wonder if maybe, okay, now that Jacob's gone, maybe now his revenge will come. But do you know what Joseph's response was? The Bible tells us that he wept. He wept. Such a beautiful picture. If we can even think about that as Jesus' grace for us, when we expect that he's going to come down hard on us and we get grace. In verse 20 of chapter 50, Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. He reassured them and spoke kindly to them. I love that the Bible says that he spoke kindly to them. They needed those kind words to wash over their soul. So this brings us back to us. Jesus weeps for us too when we don't understand the gift of his love. I know there are stories in our congregation where your families have disappointed you or where people have hurt you or treated you badly. So many of you have trusted us with those stories and we're praying for you and we have prayed for you and continually want to keep praying for you. Things have happened that perhaps were not your fault. 
COVID itself is going to have residual effects, and we still will see what that will all look like. Hurts that have been caused through isolation and separation, and times of cabin fever, things are said. Relationships have been strained, and there may be situations that need to be addressed. And so again, just let that just process with you for a moment. And maybe for some, it goes deeper than more like the story of Joseph, where people in positions of trust, like your family or others, have hurt you. I grieve that, especially when people say they believe in Jesus and they take liberties in God's name. It, it, it just burdens my soul. And they've maybe even used authority to gain trust and control and have hurt people deeply. We grieve with those wrongs as a church. And we want to say that it's not okay. And sometimes you wonder, does an apology even help? Well, in some situations, it's the very needed first step. It may just be a first step, but maybe if there's somebody that's waiting for an apology, you may be able to offer that and just help them begin that healing journey. We've all received a part of the orange thread this morning to remind us that we are all part of God's story of restoration, leading us through the scriptures. I love how the thread wove through the Bible first and the Bible stories right to us. And restoration is for each of us with Christ. We can be restored to Christ and we can be restored to each other. The story reminds us that there's greatness even in brokenness and that we don't need our circumstances to define us. They may shape us, they may inform us, they may teach us, and they may even actually lead us to the place where we land. But our identity is secure in Christ. Joseph was secure in the promises of God, and we have even more because we are in the new covenant. We have Jesus I believe that during his alone moments, those desperate moments, he did the inner work that was needed for him to be well. Again, if we look back to the beginning of our series, we established that God is with us no matter what our circumstances. So we have to recognize the presence of God in our lives. We can communicate with God and let him carry the hurts and pressures that we are carrying. We can, have, we can make good use of our time that we're given. We can seek to help others, and we can learn to be content in all things. So I would say today that we can even add to that courage to step into what I have learned as a miracle moment in a relationship that needs healing or a hurt that needs a touch from God. I want to be practical today, even as we come to a close, And not just leave you with this idea that you can have a miracle moment just like Joseph's, but you can make a plan to start moving in that direction, Um, a resource maybe to pursue this further. You may think that your situation is impossible, but that's why we have the body. That's why we have the Bible. That's why we have God's word. That's actually why we have the open mic. 
is because we can encourage each other with the stories of how God has helped us overcome. That's how we bless each other. That's how we encourage each other to keep going on the path that they are on, albeit, you know, this happy road at the time or if it's a low point in our lives. So um, I was listening to a video teaching on Right Now Media And again, that's a resource that I would highly recommend. And if you do not have access to that, please email the church office and we will get you um, a password. It's free for all of our congregation. But um, in this particular teaching, I thought it dovetailed really well into the study of Joseph. And it's Nicole Eunice, and she's teaching on the miracle moment. So how do we set ourselves up for a miracle? I would say that the outcome of Joseph's life was a miracle that he stepped into. I would say that in most relationships, there are complicated elements and so much potential for things to go wrong. I mean, Mike and I have been married over 30 years, and I can tell you the potential of things to go wrong is pretty great. And so we need to see God in those moments when we're struggling. We're human, and we all make mistakes. This is something that uh, um, Nicole says. There's a moment in every conversation that can change the whole relationship. A moment when you can either move towards the other person or away from them. You can break a negative cycle or continue it. You can understand and be understood or remain confused and frustrated. It's the miracle moment And once you learn how to recognize and respond to it, it holds the power to help transform the relationships you have at home, in love, and at work into the ones you really want. I think Joseph and the other Bible heroes that we're talking about in this series, they move towards God in their circumstances. And I encourage you to stick with us through this series because we will hear more and more stories of survivors, let's call them, in God's word. Nicole talks in session three about the posture of humility. And that's a thread that we can see running through all of these stories. Jesus demonstrated the ultimate example of humility, and the power of the Holy Spirit is greater in us than what is in the world. We are not alone. In session four, she talks about how conflict and the way we manage it and handle it actually makes space for us to view the miracle. I love how her teaching isn't just for the big stuff, although we need miracles for the big stuff. But it's transformation can happen even in the everyday moments of life with your kids, with your spouse, with your friends, with your parents, with your siblings. It's a mindset of expectation that something can change and it can start with me. And once we understand our value is not connected to our circumstances, we will probably begin to see the value in others as God's grace abounds to others as well. There is grace for us, and there's also grace we can extend to others. And that's what I want. Honestly, I want to not let things bother me as much. I want to let go of things sooner. I want to keep in view my moments for miracles to happen. And miracles were transformation. Excuse me, where transformation can truly take place. 
The story of Joseph is just a, a great story. Again, I encourage you to read it in its entirety. I tried to give this, you know, some highlights, but it truly is an amazing story. So in closing, I, I felt like I just wanted to bless you. I wanted to give you something also that just to let it sink in. And um, my time led me to Romans 8. And from verses 8, uh, Romans 8, verses 28 to 39, um, is just about the overcoming. And after the service, if this has triggered anything in you or you would like to have prayer, we can, you know, uh, socially distance, but we would just love to pray for you. And if you are watching online and you want to pray with someone, uh, we would be happy to Zoom with you or talk with you more about your circumstances or your situation and, and pray with you this week. You can send an email to one of the pastors. And again, we would love to just pray with you. And I, I just want to speak these words as a prayer and just let these, the words from this chapter just resonate with you. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We are brothers and sisters with Christ. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justifies. And those he justifies, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? Is God, if God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.